Can he still the storm in our hearts? Can he meet our deepest needs for healing? Come across the lake and find out. We begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, when you walked this earth, your miracles showed your compassion and your strength. Be our great deliverer still. Amen. On our journey to the cross, we take a side trip in this podcast into Gentile, that is non-Jewish territory reminding us that Jesus came to be Savior of all. How do we know it's Gentile territory? The pigs. They were unclean animals according to the Old Testament ceremonial law. While you and I may like the taste of bacon, it wouldn't have been on the menu in Jewish territory. Mark calls this area the region of the Gerizines, and later he calls it the Decapolis. It was just east of the Sea of Galilee. We begin at chapter 5, verse 1. They, that is Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Oh, how's this for a welcoming committee? A demoniac who lives in a graveyard among the tombs and probably smells like them. Out of control, running around naked, screaming at people, cutting himself with stones. And when they try to restrain him, he simply breaks the chains with supernatural strength. As an aside, one of the things I love about chapter 5 is the dramatic way Mark tells it. This is the way you would tell a story out loud, rather than the way you would write it in a history or a biography. It's one of the things that suggests to us that Mark's gospel is a collection of Peter's sermons, things that were first told out loud. Verse 6. When the demoniac saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. He falls on his knees, acknowledging Jesus is the real strong man who has come to bind up Satan. A Roman legion was 6,000 men, so Jesus was dealing with many demons. Don't torture me, they say, which is kind of ironic, since that is exactly what the demons are doing to this poor guy. When someone is possessed by a demon, instead of being controlled by their own will, they're controlled by the will of the demon. It's a horrible thing. Some have wondered, why do we hear of so many cases of demon possession in the Bible, but not so many today? 
I wonder if the devil and his evil forces were giving it their best shot to stop God's plan. After all, as we see here, they knew who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And then there's this, that Satan is doing just fine today, operating in less obvious ways. That also might have something to do with it. Many people today don't think the devil is real. Others think he's harmless. So why wouldn't the devil just go with that? Finally, he's not after possessing our bodies. He wants to bring us under his spiritual influence. He wants to enslave our thinking. And sadly, there is evidence all around us that Satan is doing just that. Just as we see the sad results of Satan's lordship in this tortured man, so we see it in the broken and troubled lives of so many today. And if we are honest, we'll admit that Satan has influenced our thinking as well as we have often fallen into temptation. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. These demons don't want to go back to hell, so they asked to be sent into the pigs. I don't know if you've ever been around a herd of irate, squealing pigs, but they are not quiet animals. Can you imagine the scene? 2,000 pigs, that's no small number go berserk and charge headlong over a steep bank into the water. Imagine what this looks like, what it sounds like. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What a contrast we see. No more raging all night long, naked among the tombs, harming himself. He is at peace, clothed in his right mind, where all of us long to be sitting at Jesus' feet. All human efforts to tame the demon failed, but Jesus' words have power. And they still have that power today, to drive out the devil and bring us back to his love and forgiveness. As Professor Deutschlander writes in one of his devotion books, when we go to bed at night, we are at peace. The devil cannot claim us, for Jesus is there. When we wake up, it is not to torture and torment, we walk with Jesus and follow him in the battle against Satan's lies. The story, though, takes a dark turn. The townspeople are afraid, and not in a positive way, as in they were in awe of Jesus' power. No, 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 afraid in the sense they just want him to go away. Instead of sitting down at Jesus' feet, they ask Jesus to leave. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. How does Jesus respond to the townspeople's request to go away? Well, he does leave. But he does not rain down fire, Sodom and Gomorrah style, as his boat is drifting away. No, in love, he leaves them with a witness. The restored man naturally wants to go with Jesus to be his student. Why did Jesus say no? Because Jesus loves these people in the Decapolis. And so he gives this man an assignment. Be my, be my ambassador. Go to your house, your family, your neighbors, and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them of my love and compassion. And the man dies, gladly and willingly, so that the next time when Jesus returns to this area, area many come to hear him teach. Why hasn't Jesus taken you home to heaven yet? To be with him face to face? Well, someday he will. But right now, he has an assignment for you. Go, he says. Tell your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your co-workers, how much the Lord has done for you. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. In the large crowd that greets Jesus is a prominent citizen, a leader in the synagogue. He likely has the financial resources to bring in whatever doctors were necessary to help his little girl, but they, it seems, could not help. And so at the moment, he is not a wealthy, influential man. He is just a daddy who loves his little girl, and she is dying. And so he pleads, Jesus, put your hands on her. And Jesus, who is always ready to help us, goes with him. Now, I'm sure Jairus is in a hurry, but, verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This poor woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had spent all her money on doctors and only gotten worse. Perhaps she was embarrassed, for the bleeding would have made her, according to the ceremonial law, unclean. And so perhaps she was shunned by friends. She is sick, she's poor, and she is probably lonely. She didn't want Jesus to notice her, but thought if I just touch him, I might be healed. And she was. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus was being touched from all sides, but he knew this woman's touch was a plea for help. A better translation of verse 32 would be, Jesus looked around to see her who had done this. He had more to offer her than just the healing. She came forward trembling. Was Jesus going to scold her for not obeying the ceremonial law and touching him when she was unclean? No. He says to her, this poor shunned woman, Daughter, God's precious child, go in peace. Now, Jairus is probably very happy for this woman who had just got healed from this terrible affliction. But he's probably also thinking, okay, she's healed, let's go. We don't have time to talk. Honestly, I don't know how Jairus reacted. But I know how we often react when we have to wait for a prayer to be answered. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Why bother the teacher anymore? His little girl is dead. There isn't anything Jesus can do. Why bother with God? Satan is quick to pose the question. There isn't anything he can do. Jesus, overhearing the message, a better translation would be ignoring the message, said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Yes, your daughter is dead. It's okay. Trust me. Trust him? How could Jesus possibly fix death? Oh, a crippled arm? A woman who was bleeding? Yeah, he can do that. But what can he do for a dead little girl? Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. In the storms of life, which Jairus is going through right now, when the earth is quaking and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, where will we find solid ground on which to stand? Jesus says, hold on to me. Don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37. Jesus did not allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, Jesus took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the little child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Ka'um which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, the parents were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this. 
and told them to give her something to eat. The translation doesn't do justice to the reaction of the little girl's parents. They were beyond happiness. Can you imagine? Imagine how they felt. Well, no, you, you probably can't. But someday you will. For the day comes for all of us when the pain cuts our hearts like a knife. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a mom or a dad, a spouse, a very dear friend. And as we look into the casket, realizing they're not there anymore, as we're longing to hold them again to hear their laugh, Jesus says to us, don't be afraid, just believe. And he points you to his cross where he closed his eyes in death so that one day we can open our eyes in eternal life. For the wages of our sin is death, but Jesus took our sins in himself and died our death. And in doing so, he broke sins and therefore death's power over us. When we die, believing in Jesus, our souls go to be with Jesus and our bodies sleep until one day he will say to us, Son, daughter, I say to you, get up. And on that day, when we are together again with our loved ones who died in the faith, we will be beyond happiness. You see, God the Father saw the brokenness of our world, the reality of our sins, and instead of turning away in disgust and anger, he sent his Son to take our hideous sins into himself on that ugly cross. And then, three days later, to rise again. And because he lives, we also will live. Next week, growing opposition. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.